Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, I'm one of those guys, I pretty much wear my emotions on my sleeve. Y'all know what I'm about, and I'm a lot more of a college football guy than I am NFL guy. I like the NFL. I like to watch it on Sundays, but I don't obsess over it. Even when it comes to some of this kind of stuff right now, you know, scouting combine in Indianapolis, pre-draft talk, I'm a little bit more of a drive-by guy on that. I'll stop in and kind of peer on that a little bit, but if you want me to tell you who like the nine best interior linebackers are for the draft, that's just never been a topic that's really all that interesting for me. Now listen, for the former Georgia guys, because we're obviously doing a Georgia show, for the former Georgia guys, I do wish them well, and I do you know, have a legitimate level of curiosity about where they're going to go and how well they're going to fit in with the team they get a chance to play for. But for me, the most interesting thing about the NFL scouting combine or any of the pre-draft conversation or actually the NFL draft itself, the most interesting thing for me is just kind of always going to be how big of a commercial this ends up being for UGA and how well UGA comes across in something like this. And I got to tell you, as someone who kind of views combine and stuff like that this way, I couldn't be happier right now. I mean, it is really, really fun to see what a prominent part of the discussion Georgia is right now. That's going to be impossible, almost difficult for that not to be the case when you're talking about 14 Georgia guys being there. But how much of last night was kind of dominated with the George Pickens 40-yard dash time? And, of course, you know, uh, Pickens at one point in time had the sensational blazing time of, what, 4.4, and then kind of got, I guess, uh, downgraded somewhat to 4.47. That's still really fast. Admittedly, it's probably a little faster than I thought he would run. And, you know, you're obviously thrilled for him in terms of um, what that means for his NFL future, and you're also probably a little bit, I guess, lamenting what it could have been for him getting a chance to play for a full season this past year at UGA and how much fun that would have been to see a little bit more of Pickens in a Georgia uniform, but obviously that's all done now when you wish him well as he moves on to the NFL. And then there's the other thing that's kind of been going on here, the back and forth between what started off as Alabama players, and we, we said yesterday that John Mechie thinking the title game could have been different had had he been healthy, or Jamison Williams who said that he thought Alabama would have won the game had he not got injured. There's an element with which we kind of come at that as, well, what are the players supposed to say? I mean, it'd be very unusual for a player to say, no, I don't think we would have won even if I did play. I mean, you know, that's a that's not the kind of thing you would typically expect a player to say. But in the case of Williams in particular, him saying that he would have led Alabama to a national championship win had he not gotten injured, it did get a lot of attention, not just from like the Dog Nation or the SEC bubble, but this kind of got passed around a lot of these websites. A lot of folks were kind of talking about uh, this over the uh, last few days. So it was very interesting yesterday. And this happened kind of right near the end of our show uh, when Jamari Salyer took the podium there in Indianapolis, and he was asked directly about it. Now, it turns out Mike Griffith is the one who asked him about it, but this also got to have a lot of attention yesterday. And once again, you know, you love the way in which these Georgia guys represent themselves at an event like the Scouting Combine because, listen, I'll let somebody else do the woulda, shoulda, couldas. I'll let somebody else do the bragging and the whatever. Uh, I, I love the idea that a Georgia team that defined itself by how hard it worked, how how, how, how tough it was, how businesslike it was, the fact that there's that same level of 
tough-minded, business-like approach to the players the NFL scouting combine. Honestly, as a UGA fan, as a uh, intense partisan here, I couldn't be happier with, with where George is coming across in all of this. So one quick example to start things off here. So I told you before, Jamison saying, Hey, if I had to play, we would have won that national championship game. Jamari Salyer asked directly about that. Salyer gave the most Salyer-like answer you could ever hear. You've probably heard this by now, but as a reminder for those who haven't, this Jamari Salyer from yesterday. How do you respond to that? I mean, obviously the SEC rivalries are what they are, but it seems like we're going to have a whole offseason to hear in Alabama people saying they would have or could have shot, should have won that game. The game's over. We scored more points. <laughs> I mean – I just love it. I I just love it so much because it's not nonsense. It's not goofy. It's not corny. It's I don't have anything to say about the national championship game that I didn't say on the field, as Kirby Smart has said in the past, doing my talking with my helmet. That's that's the only my only statement on the matter is what happened during the game. Anything after that, I don't believe requires any kind of explanation. Like for those of you that like politics and while we don't talk politics on this show, I do follow politics. I think the whole like you know the whole like circus of politics i find to be pretty interesting you know like there's a debate candidates debate each other then after the debate's over everybody kind of spills into a spin room and all of a sudden you have the surrogates for the candidate who are going around trying to explain to you why their particular candidate won the debate like that's a hallmark of politics as silly as it might seem to other people that's a very important part of the political world and I'm very thankful that in sports, you don't have to have that. Like, nobody has to go into a spin room and try to talk about what, you know, happened in the game and why it could have been different or how things actually worked out. As, as we've said on the show before, sports is special because it has a scoreboard. And Jamari Salyer just, you know, took that big old paw of his and pointed straight to that scoreboard and said, hey, take a look at that. That's the only talking we need in all of this. And I think that's really cool. And listen, for as much as Alabama has won, it is very interesting to me that it only takes one loss to turn you into a loser. And a lot of the ways in which Alabama has spoken post-national championship even if I'm not quite so mad about it it is loser talk and a lot of wins and yet one loss and all of a sudden that loser talk kind of creeps into here and there's a lot of that from Alabama and I love the contrast for Georgia by comparison however that is not the only stuff that I really liked from Georgia here this week now some of this is happening you know as fast as we can even bring it to you my invitation to you is no hopefully not right now hopefully you'll finish uh, on on this show for at least a little while longer but if you check out the dog nation youtube page some of the stuff that has gone on even as i'm kind of speaking right now as i'm doing this in the 10 a.m hour uh trayvon walker i guess is just finishing up had a chance to hear from jordan davis a little earlier i believe Devonte wyatt too speaking to reporters and all that's for you on the dog nation youtube page you can check all of that out right there. But a couple of things from yesterday I also want to highlight for you a little bit there as well. You know, I've said before that I love the way that Georgia players seem to have a little extra bragging rights because of what they did. They won the national championship. They, you know, they got that done. And listen, the most important thing in these players' lives right now is what they do to get paid. I, I, I totally acknowledge that, and I root for them to do that. I mean, guys who've worked this hard, this is kind of what you want football to be. You want there to be financial rewards and financial incentives on the other side of the hard work that Georgia players have allowed to define them over the course of the last three and four years. Now, as they move on to the NFL draft, I hope those rewards come their way. But I also like the idea of a little bit of a pause to say, you know, when I look back on my college career, uh, there's something going on here that it's about more than just playing for a paycheck. There's something here that's about more than just putting my 
himself in a position to get drafted and you know it's a it's a short clip here but James Cook a little bit yesterday also kind of bringing some of that to the forefront I, I love this from the former Georgia running back take a listen to this from yesterday leaving Georgia with a win with a national championship was awesome and, and knowing that they the champs of the world knowing that we the champs of the world I was leaving with that legacy on my, on my back was it was a great feeling I mean, that's great, right? I mean, James Cook is a guy who a lot of the NFL media probably knows a good bit about. He's Dalvin Cook's brother. Uh, this is a guy that probably shows up in some of these draft conversations as an intriguing figure far removed from the fact that he played at Georgia. So there's a lot of folks who, are, who kind of know about Cook or aware of Cook who don't necessarily you know fully pay attention to Georgia all the time. But yet in the midst of a press conference like this, James gets a chance to say, and we're the champions of the world. You know, we're the world champs or the national champs, whatever you want to call them. But, but you know, Cook, who's never been, you know, necessarily the most outspoken guy, he's another one of those guys that's a little more content to do his talking with his uh, helmet as opposed to anything else. But, yeah, taking a moment to say, you know what, it does feel pretty good to be a champion. It does feel pretty good uh, to be a national champion. I think that's uh, pretty cool and much the same way for Zamir White. Now, we heard from Zamir on this the other day. You remember when we played that audio of him with uh, Chad? I, I still call him Chad Ocho Cinco, but I guess he's now gone back to Chad Johnson again. I guess he's gone back to his original name again, so let me make sure I correct myself on that, and also Brandon Marshall as well. And he was talking on that podcast about being a national champion, and he was talking a little bit more about that yesterday. And in fact, you know, I, I like the question that Mike Griffith asks here, and I like the answer that, that Zamir White gives because, to me, this kind of encapsulates what it's all about. This kind of really sums it up pretty well about what it's been like to be at Georgia these last few years. Good stuff from our buddy Mike with Zamir White once again from yesterday. Zamir, what's your favorite Georgia memory or, or some of the memories you'll take with you from, from being a Bulldog and being such a fan favorite? Um, my favorite memory is probably like just grinding ball with my brothers. It's just like going, yeah, like just going through the long hot summer workouts with them guys and just fighting for your spot and just going on and then like the shield gear man like can't beat that for them man that's just next level man <laughs> so yes sir so what he says there at the end is the ship that's what we're calling we used to call them natties now we're calling them ships or chips even some people say and so that's what he's referencing there at the end he said all those hot summer workouts that grind leading up to the chip leading up to the uh, national championship that's the thing that he's going to remember the most uh, of his time there at UGA and I just think that I think I may have mentioned this briefly on video yesterday if you've ever been a part of a team not it doesn't have to be like major college football it can be a part of any team you can have an understanding of this is that if you're a football player most of your life is spent not playing football. There's only 15, even for a team like Georgia won the national championship, there's only 15 games. That's a total of what, about 120 hours worth of, of in-game experience over the course of the last 365 days. I mean, so much of your time as a football player is spent getting ready for football. And y'all, that ain't fun. It is tough, hard work. It is weight room stuff, and we see some videos of that. Some of you have experienced it firsthand. It's running stadium steps, and like that is just like there is only a, sm a small number of people who would even be willing to put themselves through that grind. Everybody dreams about playing college football, but there are only actually a few people that would really even have what it takes to even endure the four years, even if they were given the opportunity to do that. It just isn't for everybody. And I am sure 
and, and I don't know if, if uh, Zamir or anybody else would ever be candid enough about this, but I'm sure it's true, that there are times in which you're doing this when you wonder, is any of this worth it? Like, like, am I making a choice that I'm going to be happy about five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Because there is a way easier way to spend my life right now. There'd be, I, I could be sleeping right now. I could be playing Fortnite or whatever it is that, you know, uh, 18 to 20 year olds play. Uh, I, I could be doing something that's a lot easier and a lot more fun than this is right now. Is all of this worth it? And then on the other end of that, Zamir White says, hey, we're national champions now, and I'm sitting here talking to all of you getting ready for NFL draft. This hard work does appear to have been worth it. It was tough at the time, and, and maybe uh, in, in Zamir's case, maybe doubly so because he was also coming back from a couple of knee injuries. But on the other end of that, there really is a reward. That's kind of what we want football to be, isn't it? And so I think that's really cool. So Zamir and James Cook, and you heard a little bit of Jamari Salyer, good stuff yesterday from Justin Schaefer. Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis, uh, Trayvon Walker more recently. Really, really good to see these Georgia guys saying so many cool things during their press conferences leading into their work there at the NFL Scouting Combine. Congratulations to George Pickens last night for a very successful night running the 40-yard dash. Fun to watch these Georgia guys make a name for themselves as they move on to the NFL and making the Georgia program seem bigger in the process. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented by Kroger. Hello to you, and thank you for being with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all of the video platforms. A lot of fun to be talking uh, Georgia football with you there each and every day. And, of course, podcast form, the Apple Player, Spotify, all the other platforms for all of that. Radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 963F. Always all kinds of fun stuff going for you on all of that. And a big thanks to our friends at Kroger for making it all possible. This, after all, is Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger today. And one of the things I want you to know about Kroger is a great, relatively new experience they have for you that can make your shopping experience at Kroger even better. It's a brand new level of membership. It's called Kroger Boost. Now, you get so many features and benefits when you sign up to be a member of the uh, Kroger Boost program, among them like twice the fuel points, you get free grocery delivery, so many cool things there as well. And the great news is, it's not very expensive to get involved with this. You can enroll for as little as $59 for the year and take advantage of all the great things that come your way by being a Kroger Boost member. So check out Kroger.com slash Boost for a lot more on this. That's Kroger.com slash Boost for a whole lot more on what's going on there. All right, glad to have you a part of the program today. It's Jeff Sintel coming up in a little bit. We're going to get into a lot of recruiting stuff with Jeff. And actually, as a lead-in to all of that, I want to talk about something that Jeff has written this week at DogNation.com. Because if you don't mind, let me go back in time here for a moment. So we talked about Stacey Searles a lot near the beginning of the week, the new offensive line coach at Georgia. And there are two things that I said was true here, which is that you cannot deny that there was a little bit of a lukewarm response on the part of many Georgia fans to Stacey Searles hiring. Searles, who had been offensive line coach here previously at UGA, who has a long track record as a coach and some of those years seemingly more successful than others. A lot of Georgia fans were just kind of left wanting something a little bit more from the hire of an offensive line coach, given the fact that recently it's Sam Pittman, maybe the greatest in the sport working that role. And when Matt Luke was hired, that's a former SEC head coach. who kind of came in with a little bit of panache, a little bit of uh, pizzazz when he came here to UGA. By comparison, the Stacey Searles hire just didn't seem nearly as exciting to many people. You can't help but acknowledge that's true. Now, the other thing I've also said is 
the response by fans, including myself, does not necessarily mean that Searles won't be successful here, that we oftentimes get our predictions wrong or what oftentimes seems like common knowledge or maybe even common sense come to find out, hey, football has a way of being just pretty unpredictable. And we have a million examples of that just within the Georgia program alone to say that, listen, being so sure of ourselves going into any scenario, we ought to have enough track record to have a little more humility than that, that football is just not a very easy sport to predict. And so being sure of how Searle is going to work out for UGA, we've cautioned people not to be quite so certain of themselves on that. But nonetheless, the the overwhelming response, or at least the majority response for from Georgia fans has been, I'm not quite so sure the Searles hire is a uh, great thing for the dogs. And so what he said was, the ultimate story of this will be told in like, say, December and February for the kinds of recruits that Georgia signs, or maybe even more important than that, September, October, November, December, January, in terms of the performance of the current offensive line. But those will really be the measuring sticks determining how well Stacey Searles is doing in his first year as Georgia offensive line coach. But we also said this week, which was, hey, we don't have to wait very long to maybe find out how the early days of the Stacey Searles era is going as, at Georgia's offensive line coach. There are a few things we can pay attention to a little early here, and that'll give you an idea of, is he getting off to a good start? And one of the examples we used is a guy like Bo Hughley. Georgia commit, big-time prospect, kind of top 100-level player in the country. This is the kind of offensive lineman that Georgia would want in any year. Matt Luke or Sam Pittman, any era, the guy, a guy like Hughley, Hughley would be a bedrock member of your recruiting class. And based on some previous statements from Hughley, he was a very big fan of UGA. In fact, we showed you the tweet from him earlier this week. When uh, Matt Luke stepped down, Hughley stepped up very quickly to say, I'm just as committed to Georgia as ever, just as committed to Georgia as ever. And so what we said at the time was, hey, if you want to get a little bit of a measuring stick for how well Searles is doing right away, you can use Hughley as almost like baseline data. This is a guy whose opinion of UGA is very high. So if we see him trending away from Georgia when Searles is hired, that's not necessarily a good sign for how maybe Searles is working out here. But if a guy like Hughley, who liked Georgia before, if he says good things about Searles, then doesn't that have to matter a little bit? And wouldn't that maybe cause some Georgia fans who are a little skeptical about the hire of Stacey Searles? Shouldn't that at least encourage them to reconsider that just a bit? So with that in mind, as it turns out, Bo Hughley was interviewed this week by Jeff Sintel, DogNation.com, and he was asked about Stacey Searles. And come to find out, Hughley actually knows Searles a little bit and knows him even before, you know, these, just these last couple of days. Uh, he's actually maybe known him for a little bit of a while. In fact, I want to show you this quote on the screen here. So this is Bo Hughley saying that we already had a little bond and connection. Uh, he says, when Stacey Searles was at UNC, he told me, he was not going to offer me until we built a relationship while he was there. We were building that relationship. So when he came to Georgia, this opportunity is here now to make our relationship even stronger. So that's Bo Hughley on the subject of Stacey Searles. Now, listen, I don't work for Georgia. It's not my job to carry Georgia's water. I am not going to tell you that I know for a fact that Stacey Searles is going to be a great offensive line coach for UGA. I told you earlier this week. I'm like some of you in that when the hire was made, I was kind of saying, really, this is this is the road that Kirby's going down here. This is the guy that UGA is hiring. Is this really the best person for this program? I don't mind telling you. I had a little skepticism about that. 
But I also don't mind telling you that I hope that I can have an equal measure of humility to assume that I don't know everything. And if a guy like Hughley, who is as important a 2023 commit as Georgia has and among the most important prospects that Georgia's even in pursuit of for the class of 2023, if a guy like that says, oh, yeah, I've known Stacey Searles. Uh, he promised me we'd have a good relationship at North Carolina. He said I wasn't going to offer you until we do. And now we're even making an even stronger relationship here at UGA. Later on that same story at dognation.com, Hughley said, I like Stacey Searles. If Bo Hughley likes Stacey Searles, who am I to disagree with that? I mean, I'm, I'm being serious here. Like, if, if Hughley is happy about this, if Hughley feels comfortable with this, that's kind of all I really need to know for now, and we'll see what the results are. But some of the concerns that I may have initially had in a story like this from Jeff at DogNation.com, from Bo in particular, I, mean, I just kind of think his opinion on this probably matters more than mine does. So you can decide for yourself how you feel. But I did want to follow up on this because we said earlier this week, hey, I'm going to judge my initial impression on Searles about what a guy like Bo Hughley says. Well, now Hughley's spoken out, and what he says is, actually pretty interesting so let's get more of that right now uh and everything else happening with uga recruiting with the guy who wrote the story we just mentioned it's jeff Sintel here on dog nation daily presented by kroger glad to have him and all of you with us as well from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a DogNation.com insider so let's say hello to Jeff Sintel here and uh Jeff let me bring you on the conversation I was just having we talked about this earlier this week which is you know we're gonna try to be as candid as we possibly can be around here like Georgia fans just weren't all that excited about the Stacey Searles hire now that doesn't mean that it's destined to be a bad hire because we get things wrong all the time but the reaction is at least worth mentioning it's almost big enough that y- you can't ignore it a lot of Georgia fans weren't all that enthusiastic about it but in the story you wrote at dognation.com this week Bo Hughley seems to like Stacey Searles and has seemed to have had a relationship with him for quite some time. And so all I can speak for here is my own skepticism. My own skepticism is somewhat subdued now. It's somewhat diminished now on the base of the fact that uh, that Hughley says, I know him, I've liked him, and I'm excited about getting to know him a little bit better. That's kind of all I really need to know on that, at least for now. What did you make of having that conversation with Hughley about a topic that's been really pretty important to Georgia fans as of late? Yeah, Brandon. Hey, man. Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great Friday. Uh, Brandon, I look at it this way. Uh, I think I, I kind of heard some of your uh, opening comments about it that I think the person, the per- persons that make the most correctness or the persons that really matter in this subject is not Joe Message Board, Joe Dog Nation fan. It's not BA Dog Nation Daily. It's the players that are going to be interacting with Stacey Searles because players are going to equal talent. Talent's going to equal formidable offensive lines and getting push on Alabama in a big SEC championship game. Here's what I here's what I really unpacked out of the conversation with Bo. First of all, he liked Stacey Searles and called him good people, air quotes, good people, uh, even when he didn't have an offer from him at North Carolina. I think what I wanted to show with that story, and uh, Brandon, I'll, I'll be totally honest here, I had no idea there were so many candies out there that were – uh, important to a six foot seven and a half, two hundred ninety pound uh, defensive, uh, excuse me, offensive tackle, anchor prospect, going to be an All American. Uh, also plays basketball as the designated fouls guy on a Langston Hughes team, which is still alive in the Georgia high school state basketball tournament, which is quite a feat. I think they're in the final four this weekend. But I like the way how he told me that he connects with uh, Stacey Searles and really 
when he said um, these are two young men, these are two men from two very different backgrounds in this world, and he considered Stacy Searles to be an older version of himself. I liked how Coach Searles, when he started talking to him, and he noticed that Bo would kind of bring out Starburst minis, the Pink Pack are the best, high chews. I, they have chewy Jolly Ranchers now. I didn't know there was such a thing. And all of a sudden, he noticed him pulling out all these things out of his pockets, and he's like, you know what? Snacks. I'm going to call you Snacks. Huh. So he even puts Bo Hughley's contact information as, in his phone as Snacks. Now, Brandon, I would love to tell everybody on this on this feed, on your program today, what your nickname is in my phone, but that is something <laughs> for another show <laughs> and another time. But all I'm going to say is this. Stacey Thrills can recruit. He's going to bring the players into Georgia. I think people are getting too deep in the weeds about how many sacks his North Carolina offensive line gave up and the players that may or may have not came to North Carolina or Miami or Texas when he was there. Uh, Stacey Thrills is a Georgia native. He is reunited with a band of, I would call it like OK Corral, Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp type recruiters at the University of Georgia. So he's going to be just fine bringing in the players, recruiting to Georgia, recruiting for the Georgia standard. Uh, remains to be seen about how well these guys will drive guys off the ball, how much better the run blocking will be, how much better the pass blocking will be. But I would caution folks that worry about sacks at North Carolina. they got to realize North Carolina didn't really have a lot of backs last year. Those moved on to the NFL a year earlier. And Sam Howell was throwing the ball about 60 times a game. So I think that Georgia Todd Munkin offense and what Mac Brown and Sam Howell and Stacey Thrills put together in Chapel Hill are kind of two different things. Let me just say this really quickly, too, about, you know, the Hughley endorsement of, of Saros here. I know you've talked to plenty of players about this. I, I certainly have there as well. I mean, recruits can tell you some stories, and, and, and players can tell you some stories about their time on the recruiting trail. If a coach is weird, recruits will figure it out. If, if he's goofy or if he's not genuine or if he's unable to connect, I mean, I know you've heard these stories on the, over the years because I've certainly heard plenty of them of, boy, so-and-so tried to look me in the eye and he tried to make his pitch and I just wasn't buying it. I mean, you know, th this relationship between player and coach as a recruit is so intimate and the coaches need the players so badly that if they can't be comfortable in their own skin as they make their pitch, I mean, it's like sort of sitting in front of a bad sales pitch. If you've ever had to, you know, you know, do something like that. You know, some people have, you know, going through like a, you know, kind of any timeshare or something like that. Like if you're on the receiving end of a bad sales pitch, everybody sort of knows it, and recruits themselves can tell you that story there as well. So you know, these offensive line recruits are invited into the inner workings of a program, and they see the 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 coach here at his most vulnerable and and so i don't think we can lose sight of the fact that their perspective on all this really matters yeah brandon he told me a story bo told me a story where uh well i guess i gotta call it snacks for the purpose of this conversation because that's what uh, coach Cyril's calls him but he, he's like they're they're there he's at georgia bo was i think his first call once he got the job at georgia and they're in the they're in his office and they're sitting there watching film and they're talking and broderick jones is in there as well and he's really getting to know both of those guys at the same time while also teaching them how to do and execute a simple block and things that he likes to see out of his guys. And he was not only juggling the fact of getting to know two young men uh, that could be very vital to the short-term and long-term future of the Georgia football program, and he's also getting to know them on a personal level. I, I kind of I, I had a conversation with a, a teenager the other day, and uh, he was telling me something about how this – this girl liked him before he even became the starting quarterback on the football team. 
And and it was kind of funny. I kind of related to this Jonathan Hughley story a little bit. Snack Hughley story a little bit because when a recruit – I want to go back to this, Brendan, because it's really important. I want to make sure people catch it. When a recruit thinks the recruiter is good people and he likes him, even when they didn't have the offer from the school he was recruiting them for yet, that's a great sign because a lot of people – don't even get interested in a school until that offer is on the table and it is formally made. So for, for Bo Hughley, I already have a great relationship with Stacey Searles when he was in North Carolina, and North Carolina had yet to offer him when he had offers from really just about anybody he wanted last fall, last summer. I think that's a very positive sign. I like how I also talked to Raquez, uh, Rock McEldry. Yeah. Uh, that's the talented offensive lineman who was the offensive lineman MVP at the Under Armour camp this past weekend along with a talented young man at Grayson High School, Walt Clare Lynn Jr., in the 2024 class, uh, he said he already thinks that, that Stacey Searles – that was my number one question. I asked Bo and Rockwell this both pretty directly. I said, does this feel like upon first impression, not just a guy that you could play for, but you would want to play for and you would like to play for? And both of them answered affirmatively. So as far as the first lap around the bases for Stacey Searles, as the offensive line coach at the University of Georgia goes, I think that is a very positive sign. You know, I want to talk about a couple of things that we haven't had a chance to speak about because you and I haven't spoken live here in a couple of weeks. We were both enjoying some vacation time. Uh, the LT Overton front's been pretty quiet as of late, although we do have some official visit dates now for Georgia and A&M and also, I guess, going to Oregon there as well. Any new light you can shed on the recently reclassified 2022 defensive lineman LT Overton? I think the words that I would bring to mind, Brendan, I'm just kind of just going to be honest here, is it's muddy and it's complicated. Uh, not only you had to look at, let's face it, the destinations for LT Overton are probably going to be a, an Oregon, uh, Texas A&M, a Georgia. If it's somebody else in that inside that top five, I would deem it an upset. Uh, but when you look at that, so first of all, you've got him going to three schools, really two schools with Georgia and A&M that already have a plethora of dudes at his position in the 2022 class. Uh, those guys are usually bigger and higher, you know, I wouldn't say higher rated, but they're, they're more formidable. They're, they're just bigger bodies, more grown men ready to take that on. So that already that's a complication in this recruitment that I find very interesting in that LT Overton's coming in, and I think he was reclassified to a number 32 overall prospect in the 22 class, which makes him a fringe five-star. And yet he's going to a bunch of places. You know, Georgia has two or three guys that are on that five-star range on the defensive line. Uh, there's another Texas A&M, I think, signed three five-stars for their defensive front. So you've got a bunch of places where he, he's not likely to jump in, especially coming in in the fall, where he's going to jump in and come in in June and play right away. That's one thing. The second thing that I think is very interesting here is now there's the neat little wrinkle about his older brother who is now transferring out of Liberty where he didn't really play a whole lot at Liberty. Then he redshirted one year and didn't see much action last year. And it, you're hearing the whispers that those two young men want to play together and they're going to try to play together and they're going to take their visits together. So already where scholarships are going to be at a premium at a place like Georgia, at a place like Texas A&M, uh, it gets very interesting to see how all these things are going to line up. And it's going to come up all winters for the, the, the school that ends up earning his commitment and earning his signature. Uh, I, I still I don't want to devalue him as a player. If he's in the 2023 class, I think his body looks more comparable, more developed, more advanced. 
uh, passes the eyeball test with a higher grade in the 90s when you're comparing him to 2023s and not 2022s. Uh, so I think that's just really interesting. And then the other thing is all the online chatter. I know, Brandon, you'll, you'll pay attention to and you'll see everything that's written out, out there. It's really, it really feels like Texas A&M is the team to beat here as well. Do you think that Georgia, just to be totally blunt, would use two scholarships to acquire a guy like Overton, knowing that the brother's probably coming along here? Does Georgia have the room to do that? And would they have the willingness to do that, you believe? Uh Two very good questions. I think my answers for those would be not likely. If I had to shake my magic eight ball, I would say it uh, does not appear likely at this time. Brandon, I can't see Georgia, the the station they're at not right now with their 85 and even things of the portal and them wanting to use their remaining scholarships on one-and-done players, graduate transfer, portal players. I, I find it very unlikely that uh, a school like Georgia or maybe even a school like Texas A&M would parlay two scholarships to bring in a player that is not likely to be a first-team or second-team performer in year one on campus. The other thing that's happened recently we hadn't had a chance to discuss, and uh, in, in one of these cases you've had an update at DogNation.com this week, a decommitment from, uh, let's start with Kyan Lee here, um, good-looking defensive back prospect, but wanting to open things back up a little bit. Uh, you had a chance to speak to him about that. What should Georgia fans think about Lee slowing things down here? Yeah, I think that one was one everybody wants to know. What, you know, I get this question a lot, whether people put me a message on social media or on the Dog Nation forum about, you know, was this a big one? Uh, Brandon, I think this was a big one. I think, I think, I think Kyan Lee is a guy that's going to check all the boxes for a Georgia defensive back. Um, he's maybe not 6'1", 6'2", but I think he's going to be adaptable. I think Kyan Lee was, could have probably played at Georgia this fall. Uh, if he was on the Georgia roster this fall, because at least in a special teams capacity, because he's very intelligent, he's very technical, he's very fast, he's very physical, and he really checks all of those boxes that Georgia is looking for in a, in a cornerback and a versatile defensive back type. So um, I think this was a big loss. I think he's opening things up. I really have to appreciate the young man for the way he handled it. Uh, I, I, I wrote it this way because I wanted people to kind of kind of feel what it's kind of really like. It is not very common, or as common as most might think, Brandon, for when a young man's getting ready to decommit, that he calls up the school and calls up the head coach that he committed to and says, uh, I'm going to decommit. I need to open things back up. Uh, and and Kayan did that. He, he wanted to do that because he thought if he was man enough to make the commitment and he was man enough to make a commitment at, at that time, which he did it in last September, uh, of his junior year, and really that was kind of a foregone conclusion for a few months prior to that. Uh, when the young man does something like that, it really catches my ear, it catches my eye. I think that's the right way for a young man to go about his business as he's growing up into the world and doing this adulting thing that um, even some 30- and 40-year-olds tr- struggle with at times. So I-, I think that was really impressive. showed me even more about Kay and Lee. I mean, he's on a team, Brandon, with I think four or five SEC guys that he's played with over the past two years, and a lot of times, those SEC guys on the Cedar Grove roster kind of look to look to KN Lee as probably maybe an alpha or one of their best player, if not the best player on their defense. So it's it's funny he's heard hearing from Fran Brown. Yeah, he said Fran Brown, the new defensive backs coach, was very very straightforward. Um, a lot and a lot of a quick little snapshot on Fran Brown is a lot of a lot of folks tell me that Fran Brown is kind of just like Jam- Jamila Dye. Same type of personality. They they value 
technique a lot. Uh, they, they really value that a lot, even though when maybe some of those guys in the past, they've liked to teach the back pedal uh, in their, uh, the way that their philosophy for coaching DBs were, where they really don't do that at Georgia. So, so, so he said that Fran Brown's already talked to him a couple of times. Um, it was interesting that he said Coach Adai at Miami has already talked to him a bunch of times as well. It really sounds to me like Miami's going to go really hard after Kane Lee. Uh, he was going to visit Ole Miss pretty soon, Auburn, Tennessee, Ohio State. Brandon was probably number two for him. Uh, was probably number two for him uh, behind Georgia when he made his decision back in September. And I think Oregon's a contender there as well. I think I think Mr. Lee is going to be very very coveted uh, now that he's opened his recruiting back up because he really couldn't take visits as a young man from the state of Georgia, committed to Georgia, and really get folks thinking that they had a chance where they're going to give you maybe their best shot, best terms of recruiting pitch when you when you roll up on campus. I think I think Kay and Lee will see that now with a lot of schools. And, and one thing I'm going to say, Brandon, and maybe you might like to hear this. So go ahead and slam the table if you want to. But okay. Brandon, the 2022 defensive backs that Georgia signed, folks are looking at that in the 2023 class, and they're going, wait a minute. That's a lot of guys. I see. That's a lot of guys. Okay. And that's going to be something where people are going to have a little bit more pause about rushing to fall in love with Georgia and commit to Georgia. And I know that sounds weird because people will be like, oh, I don't know if I want a young man that's afraid of competition. These are young men that are not really afraid of competition, but they're also looking for a place that they can come in and play right away and be the guy. And I don't know if George is going to offer that because we've said this a couple of times and we kind of trumpeted Brandon how special that 2022 defensive back class was at Georgia. It was really special. Georgia signed almost as many five stars in this class, uh, in one class, in one signing class in the 2022 as Georgia had signed previously in all six years of Kirby Smart recruiting up to this point. They got two five-star corners. They got one five-star safety. They'd only had three five-star corners total in the six years prior to that. So really, Georgia has really loaded up this group. They've loaded it up with a five-star corner in Dalen Everett, a five-star corner in Jaheim Singletary, a five-star safety in Malachi Stark. They've got another top 100 player in uh, Julian Humphrey, who was, who was also rated a five-star on Rivals.com with the final ranking. So Georgia's got some dudes coming in the likes that they've never seen before in the class of 2022. And I think a lot of the 2023 recruits are noticing that. Let me squeeze in two things before we let you go. One of those things is probably totally off the radar. You may not even expect it. But um, uh, DeQuavia Sori also decommits there as well. Top 100-level player, wide receiver, four-star. Uh, what do you make of the uh, Sori departure from the 2023 class? Uh, you got a couple things to look at here. One, uh, position change. Uh, his, his, his coaching position has changed at Georgia from Cortez Hankton to, uh, B. Mac, Brian McClendon. Those guys have a different view of what they want to see in a receiver. Mm-hmm. Also, this was a way, way, way early commitment. I think he committed, um, early last winter, um, maybe almost a year ago. And this is one of those things where maybe, Maybe the feel, maybe the love from Georgia wasn't what it used to be. It wasn't what it was previously, which led him to commit. Now, of course, he is the cousin of Xavier Sori Jr., yeah. who is uh, expected to rise up and contend for time at inside linebacker and outside linebacker, kind of in that Quay Walker role a little bit um, in Athens because he was a five-star in the 2021 class. 
but he's also getting a lot of attention from the in-state schools, a lot of attention from uh, Florida, Florida especially, a lot of attention from Miami and Florida State. I also think, Brandon, even though his ranking uh, was at one time as a top 100 player in the class and one of those electric wide receivers, I don't think that's the case anymore uh, with the Quavius story. So I think that a lot of these things factor together. If we were talking about the decommitments and one, the one that really kicked that should kick Georgia fans in the teeth a little bit, I would lean towards the one from Kai and Lee more so than the one from Mr. Short. Okay, fair enough. So here's the last thing, and it's kind of off the radar, and I don't know if you follow this, I don't know if you care about this, but I still am curious of your opinion on it. So the Mark Schlabaugh story at ESPN.com about Georgia basketball, and the big takeaway that a lot of people are going to have from the story is that the coach of the Atlanta Celtics, which is like the kind of all-time AAU program in the state of Georgia, you know, think about Josh Smith or Dwight Howard, guys like that. Like this is, you know, obviously the big AAU program in, in, in our area says that he's never met Tom Green. And like some of his staffers have been in contact with Georgia staffers, but but the Celtics coach in particular says he's never met Tom Crane. And one of the running themes of this story is Georgia's absence in the recruiting narrative for a lot of the best players in the state for predating Tom Crane going back kind of forever. Georgia just not being a heavy player in in-state recruiting and in the Atlanta area recruiting in particular because obviously we know how much of a hotbed Atlanta's become the last couple of decades for high school basketball. What do you make of this, Jeff? Like, like, is this just as simple as, hey, and I hate to be so blunt, but Georgia's just trying to steer as far away as they can from anything that might have the whiff of impropriety because we know how you know tricky college basketball recruiting ha- has been. Is there something else going on? I mean – Obviously, Georgia would want to be a factor in elite basketball recruits, but pretty continually, they're not even a hat on the table. Schleyball wrote about this. Obviously, it's relevant because Georgia looks like it's about to have a new basketball coach. Do you have any opinion on this whatsoever? Yeah, I think, Brendan, the thing that's striking to me is that a university where they have the football program, maybe even the track program and the golf program, setting it, you know, really setting the curve about how you recruit nationally, about how you recruit in general, about how you go about building your roster with the most available elite stockpiles of talent imaginable. And then you've heard some things over the years with baseball and you've heard some things over the last few years with basketball, how kind of not going about things the same way. One of the things I thought was striking, and this happened a while back, Brandon, but uh, I know you know the Milton High School team fairly well, yeah. the Milton basketball team. They've oh, yeah. been tremendously successful. It even dates back. There's a connection there with LT Overton. And I think R.J. Godfrey is a good example here. That's the guard that is signed with Clemson uh, on that team. And I, if, if, if my information is correct, I think he is a double legacy Georgia Bulldog, which means mom and dad both went to Georgia. And I don't even know how strong a player – Georgia was for R.J. Godfrey. This is a guy that plays great basketball on a 7A team, a state championship level team annually at Georgia. Uh, and, and they're not really in the mix. And as, as far as I learned on this story, as far as my information tells me on this story, Georgia really wasn't even going after him hard. And yet he's a guy that's already signed with Clemson. So it's one of those things that, let's face it, Brandon, Players make these teams, and everybody, I hope they see the example. I don't know if it's a repressed memory, but I think four of the starting five right now, 
for uh, Auburn, oh, all yeah. come from the state of Georgia. Oh, yeah. I thought it was very interesting how Walker Kessler, who is maybe the SEC defensive player of the year this year on the basketball court, doesn't work out for him at North Carolina, and he treks all the way through I-85, passes Athens on his way to Auburn. This really that, that really shows shows you that either one, Tom Crean had a plan and he's looking for a specific type of player, and all these players aren't really fitting, or number two, Georgia is not playing the same game in recruiting with all of these elite players, and you know, that's something you look at, and I think. I think what's the SEC record now, Brennan? Is it one in sixteen, one in fifteen, something like that? Um, it's it's one of those things now. And I was talking to a guy in the state of Georgia about a week ago, and this is a guy that he's one of those guys that would be think of the craziest, wildest uh, football fan you know in your circle when it comes to the Bulldogs. Well, this gentleman is kind of like this and has been for a long time now when it comes to Georgia basketball. I gave him the opinion about, you know, Tom Crean this season, how is it affecting the program? And he thought that this, that what Georgia has gone through over the past two years, the struggling, the waffling, the indifference, whether it's stuck in neutral or whatever, he kind of thought that this has set the program back at least two or three years in the SEC. Now, maybe if this was a long time ago where you can't really fix it quickly with the transfer portal and rosters turning over so much, which is so prevalent this year in the NCAA basketball which you'll see a lot in the NCAA basketball tournament to come in the next few weeks. You'll see a lot of rosters that a lot of those guys weren't even there a year ago, last March. So that's one of the things where college basketball is also changing very rapidly. But in years past, what Georgia is suffering through right now would have taken a lot longer time to kind of crawl out of than what it's going through right now. Jeff, it's interesting stuff. I appreciate you being here, and obviously we'll look forward to following you a lot more on the football side of things where the recruiting, thankfully, is still going very well. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing a lot more from you on that in the uh, days to come, and of course next week here on our program there too. And hope you have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger again very, very soon. Hey, Brandon and Michael, we might need to mark the cue on that tape. That's the longest we've talked about Georgia basketball recruiting in quite some time. <laughs> no, it is indeed the case there, Jeff. Thanks so much for your time. Yes, sir. Have a great weekend, everybody. All right, good stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Let me just say one thing quickly about what Jeff said a moment ago. I'm going to do a little bit more on the Schleybaugh thing here in a minute because what's interesting is how much space ESPN.com gave to a Georgia basketball story. This thing was like, you know, at one point in time, it was getting kind of promoted pretty pretty heavily yesterday or so and it's a pretty deep dive mark sloniker's quoted pretty heavily in it uh some anonymous sources quoted there as well a au and local uh, high school level sources quoting the story too it's pretty deep dive from schleyball on, on the basketball thing we'll do a couple minutes more on that before we're done but on the k and lee thing that, that jeff brought up a moment ago you know when a player and and, and jeff says hey a lot of 2023 defensive backs may be somewhat turned off by the huge number of elite defensive backs Georgia signed in 2022. Here's the thing this reminds me of. For those of you that follow golf, PGA Tour, you kind of know what I'm talking about here, is that when a golfer is trailing and he's trying to get towards the lead, the issue is never how many shots he's trailing by, how many strokes he's behind. The issue is always the number of golfers that he's trailing. If you are a golfer trailing another golfer, you can cut down on a you know how many stroke lead just by playing well. But when you're trailing a bunch of different golfers, you are going to be clearly worried about one of those guys also breaking out in a big way. It's always more interesting to pay attention to the number of golfers that you trail more so than the number of shots in which you trail by. 
And I think that the recruiting thing is kind of the same way. It's like no one player is going to be afraid of any other. But when you see a large number of players kind of clogging up the, the position group that you're in, that is going to get the attention of some recruits, and it probably should. I mean, if I'm, my son was in the same position, I guess I'd probably – I'm not saying I would advise him not to go there, but it would be the kind of thing that I would want to make sure I was going to get my shot to get noticed because you know, part of the issue here is with a bunch of players getting eyeballs on you during practice, getting the getting the attention for the reps that you're doing, you just kind of want to make sure you get your shot there. So I understand the trepidation, but it is kind of cool to hear Jeff say, and, and you can read this in the storydognation.com, that Fran Brown and, and um, Lee have been in close contact with here. So it sounds like Brown's going to have his chance to re-win this recruitment, and we'll see if that indeed uh, takes place. I'll do our SEC through here in a moment. Let me also remind you, as we're cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, that on a week like this where the weather's been beautiful, it reminds you of how great the weather's going to be when we are in the Bahamas. Coming up here in the month of April, dognation.com, the place to go right there at the top. Link to click into our friends, the Cruise and Vacation Authority, helping us get set up for Independence of the Seas. Uh, a chance to be going to Nassau in the Bahamas. Perfect day, Coco Cay, enjoying all the great amenities on board, whether it be uh, delicious food in the main dining room or specialty restaurants there as well. So one of the cool things about the ship we're about to be on, Independence of the Seas, I was on Harmony of the Seas a few weeks ago, and one of the things that Independence of the Seas has that Harmony of the Seas does not, which is a playmaker sports bar. So one of the things, if you haven't cruised in a long time, I think one of the things that you'll notice is is that there are so many more specialty restaurants on board. It used to be kind of the cruising story was everybody eats in the same dining room and you kind of do all that. And I still like the main dining room experience. I'm just kind of an old school guy sometimes and stuff like that. But I also like having the options of the specialty restaurants on board there as well. And I would say that the true sports bar, Playmakers, is kind of a big step forward that way. It's very popular on these ships, uh, really, really cool. And so Independence of the Seas also has, among its array of specialty restaurants, it has a Playmakers sports bar. So I know for a fact we're going to be spending a bunch of time there together, including uh, the Thursday night we're on the ship is NFL Draft first round, so you better believe we'll be rooting on the dogs and having a good time doing that. And you can get a chance to see how Dog Nation covers an event like this. All of that coming up here really soon. By the way, you're watching a video. That's perfect day, Coco K right there. Like, How much fun is that? Oh, my gosh. Can't wait to be there. So dognation.com for more details on that. Limited space, limited time. It's going to be here before you know it. So get booked up so we can be a part of this together coming up on the Dog Nation cruise. How much fun is that going to be? On a much more serious note. And these kinds of things are always somewhat awkward transitions. We have new details in the Devon Demas situation there, Texas A&M. Former five-star wide receiver facing criminal charges now because of allegation of uh, domestic violence, basically, uh, Family Violence Act, uh, you know, here where he's alleged to have thrown his girlfriend's head into a wall. And so I'm going to read this to you from Sports Illustrated. Houston Chronicle, uh, the first to report this. So the father and the mother of the alleged assault victim uh, are now also arrested because during a what's being called um, – you know, basically almost like a tribunal thing on campus. I'm trying to find the the, the exact words of this, but Demas was facing a, a campus-led investigation meeting. You'll call it like a tribunal or something along those lines. Um, the mother and the father of the alleged victim were there, and they basically, the, the dad went after Demas, the mother went after a female connected to Demas, and now they've been arrested on all this too. Now listen, these are complicated situations. I don't like to give a lot of opinion about this. But this kind of thing is one of the reasons why I think these kinds of investigations are just best left in the hands of the people who do this for a living, which is not a university. And there's so many of these stories in college sports, you know, recently where, you know, 
a lot of what goes on here are university-led investigations, and I guess there's some need to do some of that kind of stuff. I'm just a lot more comfortable with criminal investigation being done by those who investigate that for a living. And, you know, obviously the legal proceedings of, you know, all this are really important. I am just personally a lot more comfortable with that happening within the framework of a court, not just criminal court, but civil court there as well, because there is still a level of, um, you know, uh, there are just a lot of you know reasons why I just like the court part of this uh, better. And so maybe this is an example of that there as well, but an interesting twist in the saga of the Demondema situation there at Texas A&M, which is messy, messy for the Aggies right now. Back to football here. Interesting to see since uh, South Carolina's new quarterback Spencer Rattler meeting with reporters, the Gamecocks get ready to go for spring practice. And one of the things, I'm going to try to read this quote to you, one of the things that uh, Rattler says here is that I've learned probably more in a month being in Columbia than I have in my entire college career before that. He says, with these pro-style systems and the film we're watching, I think it elevates everybody's game on the team mentally and physically on the field. Now, here's my point on all of this. Uh, and by the way, you see Spencer Rattler there on your screen. I uh, uh, <laughs> I realize that not everybody loves Spencer Rattler. You know, you go back to you know some of the things that have been said about him over the years and everything that everybody knows about him. But uh, you know, kind of the perception that he's given based on like was the QB one documentary and stuff like that. Um, I realize that that Spencer Rattler's not exactly everybody's cup of tea, but I do think he's a pretty good quarterback, and I do think that his chances for success at South Carolina have been underrated a little bit, and. I do think he had unfair aspersions cast on him after being demoted as starting quarterback at uh, Oklahoma last season. I think I think all of this is is potentially true. And you better believe that if he does succeed at South Carolina, much like this little kind of jab, kind of just under the radar against Lincoln Riley, you better believe he's going to be looking forward to doing a lot more of that. So interesting to hear him say, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much more about football under Shane Beamer's tutelage than I ever did under Lincoln Riley's tutelage. I think that's very interesting. Now, listen, Riley's history with quarterbacks speaks for itself when you think about Baker Mayfield and uh, Kyler Murray being Heisman Trophy winners and number one overall picks and everything like that. But interesting to hear Spencer Rattler still take that jab at Lincoln Riley as Riley's on his way to USC and Rattler with the other USC with South Carolina right now. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. A couple of things here real quick before we get ready to wrap things up. As I talked about Jeff Sintel, there was a very interesting story, Mark Schlebaugh, ESPN.com, by Georgia Basketball. And the two big takeaways is long track record of really just not enjoying success. As Sloniker, Mark Sloniker said in the story, there's these lightning bolts of, hey, you go to the, the Sweet 16 under Tubby Smith, but two years later, Tubby's at Kentucky. You know, you get to the NCAA tournament with Jim Herrick, uh, make the, well, I guess round of 32, uh, lose to Southern Illinois, but then shortly after that, Jim Herrick's resigning in disgrace or being fired or whatever you want to describe that as. Uh, Final Four in 1983, but very little done to kind of build on that 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 you know a lot of that was kind of put in in the in the spotlight and in recent times you know the thing that comes up a lot is the recruiting and the other thing that mentioned by an anonymous former UGA assistant the facilities the fact that you don't feel comfortable showing players around the Georgia facilities now to be honest with you it's actually been quite some time since I personally have heard anybody really complain about the Georgia facilities all that much um I think that Stegman Coliseum actually looks fairly nice now it looks pretty cool on the outside I think it's been improved on the inside it's not as nice as a new arena I won't deny that but it's way nicer than it used to be and I've been to the Georgia practice facility before they hosted media there a few years ago I had a chance to be there part of that it's been a good while ago now my understanding is the thing that, that UGA basketball shares with the like the gymnastics program 
I think that's still considered a pretty nice practice facility, I think. I mean, like I said, it's been a while since I've heard anybody really complain too much about the Georgia facilities. That was a part of this Schlebaugh story. The other thing that also comes up, though, is the lack of involvement in, you know, specifically in the Atlanta area recruitment of the top AAU guys, the Atlanta Celtics you know, coach saying he's not met Tom Crean before. A lot of examples of Georgia not being a big factor in major in-state recruiting things here. And I just don't know what to make about that. I mean, there certainly seems to be a very big issue with the basketball recruitment that this story from Schlebaugh totally ignores. And listen, I like Schlebaugh, and I'm glad to see him putting a spotlight on Georgia basketball. Um, But, like, the issue with basketball recruiting has been well documented here, and it certainly seems like my read in all this is – is that post-Jim Herrick, I think the athletic department was pretty embarrassed by that. Frankly, at the time, I sort of thought that they almost made too much of it. I mean, especially in light of some of the things we've learned in recent years that, you know, freaking out about uh, Tony Cole getting a TV just seems <laughs> pretty quaint <laughs> in, in comparison to some of the things we've uh, we've learned in recent years. But the point here is, in the aftermath of the Jim Herrick thing, it certainly seems like Georgia has wanted to try to steer as far away from anything that has the whiff of impropriety as it possibly could. And this is one of those things it's very difficult to have a candid conversation about. It's very difficult to have people want to like go on the record about because who knows what's real and who knows what's not. But we've all seen HBO documentaries. We've all seen all that kind of stuff. And I don't quite know what you do uh, about all of that. But when big time AAU figures saying, I don't know why Georgia's not involved. Well, you know, there are some potential reasons why Georgia might not be involved that weren't quite brought up in the story, just to be, you know, completely frank about all that. But Ultimately, while we may not know the full story with all of that, here's one thing you, I think you can say. I get the sense, and I don't mind telling you this, and we'll get ready to wrap up after this. I don't mind telling you that basketball is always a very tricky thing for me to bring up on this show. You know, we always say we're the daily podcast for Georgia uh, Bulldogs fans, and ultimately what that ends up kind of meaning is, is football because I would probably get more complaints from people by even mentioning basketball than I would uh, – you know, pats on the back or celebration from folks who are saying, hey, I'm glad you're talking about basketball. Like, it is just not a topic that a lot of Georgia fans want to pursue at the expense of hearing something that's going on in the football program. That was true well before Georgia even won a national championship. But I do get a sense of this, and maybe some feedback I'll hear after this show will tell me one thing, one thing or another uh, to confirm this or deny this. I do get the, the sense, though, there is a little bit of enthusiasm from Georgia fans with the possibility of a reboot for the program. And part of this is just the fact that the SEC in basketball this year is just so much dadgum fun to watch. I mean, obviously one of Georgia's big rivals, Auburn's having a great season. But have you been watching what's happening at, like, say, Bud Walton Arena in Arkansas this year where they're winning a bunch of games? And, like, the other night they beat LSU, the Arkansas band's playing neck, and they're doing all this kind of stuff where – I mean, it just seems like everybody in basketball is having a great time right now but Georgia. And listen, I grew up loving the sport of college basketball. I grew up going to a ton of games at Stegman Coliseum with Tubby and then Herrick and things like that. You know, I'll never fully understand why things have been the way they are and how things could have maybe been different for for Tom Green, Tom Crean. You know, I I will never quite understand all of that. But in the future here, I do get their sense there might be a little bit of enthusiasm for the possibility of a reboot for the Georgia program, so we'll see how that goes. I'll also say this really quick as we wrap up. Best of luck to the Diamond Dogs there as well. Big three-game series this weekend. 
Atlanta gets Tech in Athens, and then the uh, game at Cool Ray Field in uh, Buford on Sunday. So kind of a fun battle in the in-state uh, baseball uh, turf here between Georgia and Georgia Tech here this weekend. So best of luck with the Diamond Dogs on all of that. Great to have baseball season here. We're rooting hard for the Diamond Dogs this season. We wish them well against Georgia Tech, and we'll also follow closely to see what happens next with Georgia basketball as well. So a lot of folks are really enjoying themselves post-national championship for Georgia, and they got a lot more you know, collectibles to add to the wall, or they got a lot more gear they're wearing on a regular basis. Everybody's got their own way of showing off their happiness by Georgia's national championship. We'll give a golden shoe and honor that today there as well, because one of the things I love is the fact that some of y'all are kind enough to share this stuff with me, because... I just like seeing what you have go on. I, I like sharing this with the do- dog fans. And I love this from Scott Harris. How about the beautiful framing he has here of the replica tickets for the national championship game? His own photos of being there in Indianapolis where a lot of dogs are right now as well for the national championship. This is really well done. Scott says, I finally got it framed. Hope you enjoyed your well-deserved time off. I did. Scott, that's beautiful. Well done all the way around. Congratulations to you for being a part of that and showing it off in such stylish manner on your wall there. Golden shoe winner for you. Lousy stinking gators. They got no trophies to frame. They got no tickets to frame. It's been 4,803 days since they've won a national championship. Tough to be the gators these days and going to be tough once again come Jacksonville this October. 239 days from right now. Y'all have a great weekend. We will see you back here on Monday for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. And on the podcast, I'm now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cooldown. Good to have you as a part of our program. We'll take your comments online, dognation.com, and on Twitter, at dognationdaily. In fact, from Twitter, a few of these come today. Our buddy, uh, ODC, checks in uh, to say, question for y'all. I know that Matt Bowling has spent time running with uh, some of the football guys. Has he ever been clocked in the 40-yard dash? That's actually a really good question. Uh, I don't know what Matt Bowling runs in the 40-yard dash. I would be kind of curious to see. It was really interesting, that video that Georgia did a couple of years ago, almost as a joke, where like uh, – Bowling ran the last leg of a relay against the football team because obviously Georgia is well known for having some very fast football players. But Bowling as kind of a world-class speedster, it's just an entirely different level. He just looks different when he's running. And to go back and find that video is amazing to see because, um, I mean, it's just it's just an amazing thing to watch him run. Somebody out there may know what his 40-yard dash time would be. I'm not even really sure. Uh, what any of his numbers are. I don't fully follow track all that closely, but I do know what he is. And by the way, it's great to see uh, Georgia, in addition to bowling, just doing so well with its track program right now. That's actually kind of a cool thing to be able to see as I bang my knee on the desk accidentally there. So, yeah, I mean, uh, bowling is amazing. The track team's right now doing really well, and uh, it's a great time to be a part of that program. Stephen Head checks in on the subject of Reed Gilbert, uh, who you may have seen the Announcer from Georgia yesterday, academic player of the week, kind of a cool thing. He says, I remember uh, B at one point in time, Eric's all you talked about leading up to signing today, and I've heard rumors that he may line up outside at wide receiver. Have you guys heard that too? And yeah, I mean, I guess if things continue to go well for him, like I'm always a little hesitant to speak too much about Gilbert for a couple of reasons. A, because I don't want to. I guess, inflate what is the cautious degree of optimism that seems to exist right now. I, I don't want to, you know, push that, you know, beyond what it needs to be, obviously, with respect to the fact that, you know, Gilbert has been on a long journey to get back towards the football field. And it seems like that's going really well. You know, obviously, the acknowledgement from Kirby Smart here this week, an example of that. But, you know, beyond that, I'm a little 
careful about what else I want to say, especially knowing that right now the appetite would be so high for any potential good news in relationship to Gilbert. For all I know, things are continuing to go pretty well. So I hope that does continue to be the case. And as we have things that come out, we will uh, we'll probably talk more about Gilbert on the show next week, probably. Uh, but uh, kind of nice to see some good things kind of moving in his direction there a little bit. Jerry and Fort Walton also checking in about what he called me carpet bombing college football with truth bombs yesterday on the show. I'm glad to know that Jerry had a good time with all of that. And I hope all of you are getting ready to have a good time yourself as you head towards the weekend. As I said during the regular show, best of luck to the Diamond Dogs this week, taking down Georgia Tech. Hope that's the case. If you get a chance to beat any of those games, hope you enjoy yourself there on that. And we'll look forward to seeing you back here Monday for our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. It's all said and done. If your water heater goes out, don't forget, in many cases, R.S. Andrews can get it replaced for you in the very same day. And you can check it out online at rsandrews.com for a lot more on that. And we will check you out online back here again on Monday for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Look forward to speaking to you then, everybody.